It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Brett Baer. I'm Rachel Campos Duffy. I'm David Asman, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, October 31st, 2023. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. U.S. officials met with Saudi officials as the head of national security and the Pentagon say they're committed to keeping conflict in the Middle East from spreading. And of course, there's some concern that Arab citizens of Israel might start demonstrating or taking actually violent action in Israel itself. And that's before you get to the question of whether Iran would get directly involved in this conflict. I'm Chris Foster. The mass shooter in Lewiston, Maine, had mental health problems, he'd threatened violence, and he had guns. I do firmly believe in uh, strong Second Amendment rights, but there needs to be some due process when an individual does present a risk to themselves or others around them. And I think these laws try to do that. And I'm Jimmy Fallon. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Last week, the U.S. conducted airstrikes on two facilities in eastern Syria, facilities the U.S. says were connected to Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps. Since October 17th, there have been 23 attacks on U.S. bases and personnel in Iraq and Syria. That is including an additional two times this weekend after those U.S. airstrikes on Thursday night. Many of the attacks have failed or were intercepted by U.S. military air defenses, according to a senior U.S. defense official. There were 14 attacks against U.S. troops in Iraq and nine in Syria in the past two weeks. Fox News chief national security correspondent Jennifer Griffin notes the U.S. national security advisor says the U.S. has promised to respond to attacks and that Iran understands that. But it's not clear that the Iranians are getting that message. There have been three attacks on U.S. bases by Iranian proxy forces, none causing any damage since that those U.S. F-15 and F-16 struck those weapons warehouses on the border with Iraq in eastern Syria. The U.S. conducted precision strikes into eastern Syria against Iranian-linked facilities after an Iranian attack on a U.S. base in Syria that killed a U.S. contractor and wounded six others back in March. Last week, the president clarified how he sees all of this as a continuation of the fight. My warning to the Ayatollah was that if they continue to move against those troops, we will respond and he should be prepared. It has nothing to do with Israel. But over the weekend, in response to a question about whether Iran's been deterred here, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan told CBS's Face the Nation on Sunday. We are vigilant because we are seeing elevated threats against our forces throughout the region and an elevated risk of this conflict spreading to other parts of the region. We are doing everything in our power to deter and prevent that. Pentagon spokesman Brigadier General Pat Ryder told MSNBC's Anna Cabrera Reports program on Friday. So these strikes were very uh, surgical, very targeted to send a clear message that we will protect our forces. On Monday, NSA Sullivan met with Saudi Arabia's defense minister in Washington, D.C. The White House said they agreed on the importance of working toward peace between Israelis and Palestinians and a affirmed the importance of deterring any state or non-state actor from seeking to expand the conflict. There is a concern that Iran is, through its proxies, going after U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria. That's one way this conflict spreads to our forces. Stephen Hadley was the national security advisor during the George W. Bush administration. There's also the risk that Israel faces 
almost a five-front war. It's engaged with Hamas in Gaza. It could be attacked by Hezbollah in the north. Hezbollah has also been active on the Golan Heights. There's been violence, of course, on the West Bank. And there, of course, is some concern that Arab citizens of Israel might start demonstrating or taking actually violent action in Israel itself. And that's before you get to the question of whether Iran would get directly involved in this conflict rather than just through its proxies. Mm. And that's, of course, one of the reasons why the United States has moved to carrier battle groups, air forces and other personnel into the region to deter uh, Iran from either getting involved directly or encouraging its other proxy forces to attack Israel. Sir, what do you make of this administration, the Biden administration, saying the attacks on our facilities and troops in Iraq and Syria, directed by Iran and its proxies, are completely separate from the Hamas attack on Israel on October 7th? As we know, Iran funds Hamas, but this administration is, has insisted there's no direct evidence linking Iran to what happened on October 7th. Is it strange to insist these are all unrelated, or is the administration being technical here? I think the administration is being technical here. I don't know why they're saying they're separate. It is clear that Iran is behind both the proxy groups that are attacking our forces in Iraq and Syria, and is behind the proxy forces that have attacked Israel from Gaza, that is to say Hamas, and is uh, in league with and, and behind Hezbollah and the Houthis as well. I think what the administration is saying, though, is that there's no direct evidence that Iran planned and gave the green light or authorized or directed Hamas to attack across the border from Gaza into Israel. And the reason I think the administration wants to maintain that line is they don't want to be forced to actually contemplate using military force against Iran, because that, of course, would really spread this conflict throughout the region. So they're maintaining this distinction between, yes, Iran is supporting these proxy groups, but no, there seems to be no direct evidence mm. that Hamas went after Israel at the direct order of Iran, and that's a distinction that they're, they're maintaining for the reasons I suggest. Interesting. So when we think about expansion of this conflict, possibly, God forbid, what's your reaction to Hamas leadership visiting Moscow, Turkey's president, and saying Hamas is liberating a liberating group and not a terrorist group? Um, it seems like uh, some forces are aligning here. There is certainly a lot of solidarity in the region with the Palestinian people. Uh, a lot of publicity being given to the, the suffering of innocent Palestinians in Gaza. There is no love lost in the region for Hamas. Let's be clear about that. And many of these uh, Arab states would be just as soon if uh, Israel is given the time to finish off Hamas. But there is a lot of sympathy for the Palestinians in Gaza on the Arab street. And these regimes have to worry about the Arab street and the disrupted demonstrations that are going on. Uh. Russia, of course, is in the business of sowing chaos wherever it finds it. It's interesting in Russia because Russia has really developed a, over the years a fairly close 
relationship with Israel, and they've now turned away from that in order to be a specific cheerleader for Hamas. Erdogan is a different proposition. He started off in a good place, condemning what Hamas has done, why he thinks it's in his interest now to be moving over and siding with Hamas, I do not understand because mm. it comes at the cost of his relationship with Israel, which he had been trying to reconstitute and reestablish over the last year. So I think it's a mystery as to what Erdogan thinks he's doing with this. Talk to me from the intelligence perspective of hostage videos being released, that, that Hamas is releasing hostage videos. One of the most recent ones has three women in it. And one of the women blames Netanyahu, Israel's prime minister, for all of this. And Netanyahu responded by saying what Hamas is doing here, releasing these hostage videos, is cruel psychological propaganda. Is Hamas negotiating, bargaining here by releasing these? I mean, with the intelligence eye on all of that, what is your sort of take? Look, Hamas uses its civilian population as pawns in its struggle against Israel. It uses them as human shields. It puts military installations and weaponry in and around mosques, schools, and hospitals to try to deter Israel from striking them. And if Israel does try to strike them in order to go after real military targets, and there is some collateral damage among civilians, Hamas uses that as a propaganda tool to try to inflame public opinion against Israel in order to put pressure on Israel to stop the offensive. That's really what's going on here. Sir, you were NSA at a time when the Middle East was on fire. I wonder what your reaction is to this. In September, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said the Middle East hasn't been this quiet in 20 years. Given where we are now, just weeks later, do his remarks say a lot about our intelligence gathering capabilities? I think it says both that it's a tribute to how, sadly, how well Hamas was able to put this operation together and conceal it from intelligence sources, both in Israel and both from the United States. There's a lot coming now out about Israeli intelligence. They had, I think, a mindset that Hamas was deterred from going after Israel. There were something like 18,000 Gazan citizens who went to work in Israel every day. There had been kind of a tacit arrangement worked out between Hamas and Israel that the Israelis thought would deter Hamas from doing something like this. They were wrong. So I think in some sense it was a complacency that had infected the Israeli intelligence services with respect to Hamas. That's what seems to be coming out in the after-action reports that are filtering out now. When you think about the intense operation Israel's carrying out on the ground and Israeli forces saying they have to root out Hamas, I know this is the million-dollar question, right? What happens when this is all over? Do the people who lived there previously go home? rebuild? Does a, does a new terrorist group crop up that Iran supplies instead of Hamas? I mean, are these the things Israelis are grappling with or should be? That is the question. And, you know, one of the problems with these kinds of military operations is you're so focused on trying to get the operation itself right 
that you almost invariably don't pay enough attention to the day after. And that's going to be a problem here. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu said their goal is to destroy the military and governance capability of Hamas and to free their hostages. And if they do achieve that objective, then the question is, all right, who governs Gaza if they are able to damage Hamas sufficiently as to shake its rule? Israel doesn't want to occupy Gaza. I don't think the Palestinian Authority would be accepted in Gaza or would have the competence to rule Gaza. And certainly the Arab states are not at this point inclined to go in and try to take responsibility for Gaza, particularly if, as I think it's likely, Israel will badly damage Hamas. But in the end of the day, Hamas is still going to be there in some form and would give a very hostile greeting to any outside force that tried to come in and rule Hamas. So this whole question of the day after is, I think, really on on people's mind now and needs a lot of attention. And I don't think there's a plan. And I know the administration is trying to give a lot of thought to this. And I hope the Israelis are as well. Let's take it. uh, Let's take it home. You see what's going on on our college campuses, not all of them, but some. Um, And Jewish students are afraid. There have been intense moments of intimidation. Uh, Jewish students were locking down at Cooper Union, uh, Cornell. There have been angry protests directed at Jews, uh, not just on college campuses, but um, just in the streets of some cities. Uh, What should be the fear level for Jewish Americans right now? You know, that's what is the great tragedy that Jewish people had felt confident and safe in Israel, and Jewish people had felt confident and safe in a lot of countries around the world in which they lived, including our country. And one of the real tragedies of all of this is I think that for many Jewish people, whether they are in Israel or whether they are around elsewhere around the world and even in the United States, no longer feel safe and secure. And of course, countries like the United States and our society needs to make it clear that this kind of anti-Semitism and tax on Jewish uh, citizens here in the United States are just not acceptable. Former National Security Advisor Stephen Hadley, thank you so much for joining us. Delighted to be with you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is Jimmy Fallon with your Fox News commentary coming up. We ask all the time after an atrocity like the mass shooting in Lewiston, Maine, could it have been prevented? The shooter, found dead after a two-day manhunt, Robert Card had spent two weeks in a mental health facility and had threatened to blow up an army base. There was a statewide law enforcement bulletin about that threat, and he was allowed to have his legally purchased weapons. President of Brady United Against Gun Violence, Chris Brown, says we need more uniform laws. So that individuals who are truly at risk, where there are red flags and signs, which clearly there were here, we've heard about them already, that those folks in those communities have a decent chance of being able to act on that kind of information and remove firearms from those individuals. 
Florida governor and Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis says instead of taking guns away, he's in favor of institutionalizing more people with mental health issues. He had a mental health intervention. This is not just a, a run-of-the-mill law-abiding American and something happened that he was still allowed to be out there. So so focus mm-hmm. on the individual rather than trying to, to nuke the rights of every law-abiding citizen. Governor DeSantis on Fox and Friends. Law enforcement agencies throughout Maine were made aware of the Army base threat. He had some weapons and they purchased some new ones. Bill Daly is a former FBI investigator and an international security expert. So the question is, you know, A, what about the issue around the main yellow flag law? Uh, What about the issue of his medical treatment for either a mental condition, emotional condition, whatever it might be, and any medication thereof? And was he purchasing these weapons in the immediacy uh, prior to this incident with with that part of his planning? And just trying to tie some of these things together, to tell you the truth, it kind of brought my attention to kind of the underlying issues behind this that, you know, he had some problems uh, as recently as this summer, psychological issues, hearing voices, we're not too sure whether it was connected with some new hearing aids or what, but there's this combination of things that is still unclear to us uh, even to this day. Apparently, he tried to buy a suppressor, and also known as a silencer, I guess suppressor is maybe a better word since the shot, you know, is still mm-hmm. audible. Uh, just quieter. I guess he tried to buy a suppressor in August and self-reported mental health issues and was declined. Now, does that self-reporting tell you anything? Maybe did he want somebody to maybe stop him? Why would you admit to that on a form? Yeah, yeah, certainly to, in in my view, uh, my experience is, is a call out, is a cry out for, for some further assistance or for someone to tell him guardrails what he was or was not able to do given this condition. So I think it was both company, a call saying that he was still going through some of those. So the same challenges he was having back in the summer when apparently this is kind of more hearsay. I've never seen documents confirming it, but he had undergone treatment for several weeks, whether that was inpatient, outpatient. A lot of this stuff needs to be be clarified. But I think this was a call out for some assistance and also saying, well, then you shouldn't be able to buy this. Uh, we don't think you should have this. So I think by him declaring that, he was asking for some help or some guidance. Yeah. As an investigator looking backward at cases, have you found that laws to take guns away from potentially dangerous people could have, in many cases, prevented a mass shooting or any gun crime, or is putting too much stock in those? After the school shooting down in Parkland, Florida in 2018, there was kind of a, a really a significant uptick in the number of states that had adopted them. You know, prior to that, there were just about five states, and now we're up to about 21 states that have red flag laws, uh, in addition to a state like Maine that has a yellow flag law. So there was this kind of uptick in the application of them. And and more recently, that in New York State, for example, there has been kind of a, a surge over the past year in the number of these kind of red flag law initiated actions. So, you know, how many of those, you know, could have resulted in a mass shooting? We don't know. Uh, but apparently they're the law is being engaged and, and people are using it when they think that there may be a risk. Just for definition's sake, talk a little, if you, if you could talk a little about how these red flag laws work and, and maybe how Maine's yellow flag law works. I guess it's just not as Maine's law is, is just set up a little bit differently. The red flag law, it allows a number of people to bring actions where they feel as though there may be, a, you know, someone presenting a, a risk, whether there happens to be you know, people from a school place, from a workplace, family members, it could take in law enforcement. It's really meant to embrace quite a number of people from community around this individual uh, to kind of bring steps to prevent them from either having or purchasing weapons. 
Whereas in the yellow flag, from what I understand, it really has to be at the direction of a mental health or medical professional's opinion that this person should not have a weapon because they present a risk to themselves or to others. I mean, kind of that's in kind of, you know, 30,000 of a view of this, but there, you know, there's, those are some of the nuances. And I think what we'll see saw happen is that Maine passed this uh, law just uh, a couple of years ago. And actually it was put together with people who are pro second amendment advocates, as well as other people from the legislature to kind of come up with a combined, a more, let's say non-restrictive law given, given Maine, given the environs it's in, given its uh, its culture to be more around use of weapons. And so that's why we see kind of a slight difference here. And, th- and those that's what it is. It's, it's really kind of the difference between who can bring action in order to, to go through a due process. And I think that's really kind of key here is that, you know, whether we should talk about these laws, and I, I do firmly believe in our strong Second Amendment rights, but there needs to be some due process when an individual does present a risk to themselves or others around them. And I think these laws try to do that. And some of them have been challenged. But to this date, those challenges have, have not been successful because the courts have felt as though they don't prevent everyone from having a weapon or easily kind of a willy nilly kind of approach to it. But there is a kind of a, a judicial process. There's a due process going that people need to go through in order to have their rights suspended either temporarily or permanently. Yeah. And what we haven't talked about is that I think in a, lot, a lot of these cases, a lot of these warnings are brought by families who are trying to stop people from hurting themselves. Uh, forget about gun crimes and, and mass murders. Uh, they're also meant to prevent suicides. Exactly. When they present a, th- a threat to themselves. And of course, you know, in this, in this whole conversation, we're, we're speaking about, you know, people who've gone through the process of, of purchasing weapons legitimately. Nonetheless, I mean, you don't want to go kind of down the, uh, go off on a tangent, but the really hundreds of people who are killed um, each year, hundreds of people killed um, by illegally owned weapons where the, none of this really uh, necessarily applies. It's only those right. in these cases here where we know people have weapons and then it can be acted upon to prevent them from having those and using them. Do local police or even the FBI have remotely enough resources to follow up on all this stuff? I mean, we know there was a statewide bulletin about Card in mid-September about his threats to a military base. In Saco, Maine, the Army Reserve told the sheriff where he lived and the sheriff told you know, put out the statewide bullet and the sheriff says, look, deputies look for him. We just couldn't find him. And at what at, at some point, what do you do? These laws, the red flag laws in Maine, the yellow flag law are, are state laws. So there are some we can speak to that in a second on the federal level. Uh, but on the state level, that's how these laws are enacted. And so it is up to uh, local and state authorities to try to, you know, act on whatever might be in their purview, whether it happens to be moving forward in the court system to to actually temporarily suspend that Second Amendment right or to find a person to begin with. So uh, those are the resources confined to the states. Um, it, it Because there is no federal violation at that particular point, not talking about interstate issues or other, other uh, when the crime is committed, perhaps where there's either hate crime or some other federal violation, is that federal authorities don't necessarily get involved. Where they do get involved, and uh, what I just alluded to a second ago, is there are some, on federal level, there are some some laws. One is that if somebody has been involuntary, you know, confined to a mental institution for, I believe it's of at least a minimum of two week time, that's again involuntary. Uh, or when people do things like lie on gun application forms, like more recently with, with Hunter Biden and that, that whole legal uh, process, we saw that go through because uh, he was 
on drugs. He misrepresented himself on the form saying that he wasn't when he was, in fact, using drugs. And so that was actually uh, not necessarily because he had the drugs per se, but because he lied on the form. So federal level, there are certain things that they can um, uh, they can pursue an individual on, uh, whereas the other is red flag laws and yellow flag laws are, are on a state level. A vast majority of people that commit mass murder haven't been diagnosed with any mental right. illness at all. And look, this may be more of a right. philosophical question than a law than than a law enforcement question, but I'll ask you anyway. I mean, I hear people say, "Well, look, anybody sick enough to do something like this has to have some degree of mental illness." Is that you've seen things? Is that true in your experience, or do perfectly sane people just sometimes have no problem killing a lot of people? That's a very interesting question, and and over the years, uh, both. Um, probably say drawing a bit from my law enforcement background, but also in, in the private sector when uh, companies may have concern about an employee or employees raise concern about another employee. And in some cases, we've had incidents where no one raised concern about an employee coming back and the employee that ends up you know, going in and committing a, a mass atrocity and killing people because of something happened in the workplace because they lost their job or, or what have you. So there are there are things that, uh, that that I think kind of jump out at people again, whether they feel as though they need to report them or not, or whether it rises to the level of invoking the red and yellow flag laws. Uh, but there are many many instances where people, you know, they 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 kind of run silent and run deep, um, and they they don't really kind of you know come out. And people may say, well, the person acts a little funny, but it's never really that odd enough to to kind of move it forward in in a in a formal fashion like this. So I think, you know, in cases that over the years that I've seen and, and actually investigated post these horrible incidents for organizations, is that there's there are a number of them where it just kind of came out of the blue. Whereas other ones later on, when you start to scratch the surface, and I've worked over the years very closely with the Association of Threat Assessment Professionals. And when you do start to kind of call back and you start to look in the person's background, you can start to see that there are some breadcrumbs, that there's some, they kind of call it leakage, where people have said things, acted in a certain way. But again, sometimes they're not as demonstrative uh, for people to kind of take action or willing to kind of put themselves forward and, uh, and either ruin someone's reputation or ruin their relationship with someone. Yeah. Yeah. And that all that stuff, of course, is backward looking and not and not and not and, and not and not preventative. Uh, Bill Daly, former FBI investigator, international security expert. Thank you, Bill, for coming back on the Fox News Rundown. You're very welcome. Jalosi with your Fox True Crime Minute. Jury selection in the murder trial of Caitlin Armstrong, a Texas woman accused of killing professional cyclist Anna Mariah Wilson, gets underway this week. The 35-year-old was charged with first-degree murder in the shooting of Wilson, who was 25 when she was found with multiple gunshot wounds at a friend's house in Austin, Texas, on May 11, 2022. Wilson was romantically linked to Armstrong's boyfriend, a fellow professional cyclist. Police say she was shot hours after meeting with him. Armstrong's Jeep was spotted on a neighbor's surveillance camera the night of the shooting, and days after being questioned by police, she fled to Costa Rica with a new nose job and a hairdo, according to U.S. Marshals, and was arrested after 43 days on the run. Earlier this month, she sprinted away from deputies during a medical appointment before being recaptured. Armstrong has pleaded not guilty to the murder charge and has been held on a $3.5 million bond. There's more on the story at foxnews.com. Subscribe to the Fox True Crime Podcast with Emily Campagno. I'm Gianna Jalosi with your Fox True Crime minute. 
I'm Dana Perino. Join me for my brand new podcast, Perino on Politics. As we analyze the 2024 election cycle, make sure you subscribe to this series on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts and leave me a rating and review. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jimmy Fallon. What's on your mind? So Halloween is here, although it's not a very unique event in the White House, mainly because Joe Biden gets to dress up and pretend he's in charge every day. But there's another liberal enclave making major Halloween headlines for all the wrong reasons. The South Orange Maplewood School District in New Jersey has canceled Halloween because of diversity and inclusion. You know, there's a word for people who agree with this. They're called morons. Now, I'll admit canceling Halloween is diverse and inclusive because every kid gets screwed. But it's also weapons-grade stupid because, hello, kids don't want social justice initiatives on Halloween. They want candy. They don't go door-to-door looking for a view on border security, which is why this school has definitely crossed the line in forcing their political agenda into a day that has always belonged to kids. The problem we have in society right now is the woke left is filled with cultural arsonists. They set fire to traditions we've all enjoyed for centuries just to show the rest of us how enlightened they are. Oh, while you people were out getting candy and Batman masks, I was sitting here thinking about how it's not diverse or inclusive enough. Seriously, social media needs a button called Who Asked You? Because the truth is, these people weren't thinking about anyone but themselves. And that's the irony here. By canceling Halloween, this school district is actually participating in it more than anyone else. Because let's face it, they're dressing up as heroes, but unfortunately they didn't save the day, they ruined it. So in closing, I'll wish everyone who still celebrates a happy Halloween. And if your kid happens to have allergies, definitely keep them away from this New Jersey school district because it's filled with nuts. Be sure to listen to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon weekdays from noon to 3 on the Fox News app and foxacrossamerica.com. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.